0: your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks podcast presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's going on, Small Business
1: Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brockenbush. As the intro said, I don't need to say it. I mean, it's already done. My buddy John is usually hanging out with me, but today he had a mishap at his house. He called me early this morning. and He said somewhere in the middle of the night, a leak, I don't know, some type of leak happened. It filled his AC ducts. There's gallons of water in his house. It's not a a fun thing. So it's just me. We're rolling. We're doing this thing. It's a lot of fun. We like to kick our episodes off with a little bit of an icebreaker.
2: Let's kick it, ice, icebreaker.
1: All right, John. If you could create your own currency, who would be on your one hundred dollar bill?
2: Um, the mascot for the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup.
1: Okay, I'm gonna have to. Okay, I'm gonna Google it because I don't know that I can picture him in my head. So
2: Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Man, shaped like a. Reese's peanut butter cup with eyeballs and arms and legs. Oh, you're oh
1: you're gonna literally just make up. Oh, you're oh there it is. He literally has a Reese's head with a Reese's candy bar body. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't I don't know if I can. My favorite candy. Uh, It's so good. Reese's is good for me. Candy. I go through candy phases. For a while, I was a huge fan of the zero bars which I don't even know what kind of candy it is to be quite honest, but it, it was good. <laughs> Reese's are a go-to. I throw them in the freezer. I I love the little um, Easter Reese's Easter eggs.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Oh, those are money. Now, and then have he- you
2: tried the half pound cups? No. How big is... I mean, at is their it? weight, you could do curls with them. <laughs> um, but my go-to Reese's is the fast break bar. It's like a... Snickers nougat with the peanut butter on top wrapped in chocolate. I mean, it
1: is. That thing is good. I have had that. That is really, really good. I also, here
2: lately, I've been into Mexican candies,
1: which are like the Chamoy-covered um, fruit gushers and Chamoy-covered gummy bears. It's okay. just, it's it's good. It's like spicy and sweet. It's fun. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Well, I think if I could put a face on $100 bill, I'd probably go with, Maybe an entrepreneur, you know, somebody who's had a lot of, you know, I guess for me, Steve Jobs, if you're a person that listens to the show, you Uh know, I'm like a huge Apple nerd. So Steve Jobs might be the face of the $100 bill for me. But yeah, something like an entrepreneur, you know, uh, maybe it's MLK, you know, Martin Luther King's turn. to to show up. I think that would be pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of fun thoughts there. John, I'm excited to have you on the show, man. I'm, I'm going to do a formal introduction for you. John Briggs is the founder of Insight Tax and the author of Profit First for Micro Gems. His theme is the IRS sucks, which I don't disagree with, and business owners should keep more of their money to build long-term wealth. Through his 12 plus years of entrepreneurship, he has learned that achieving a high profitable business can be overwhelming particularly with all the barriers and unknowns that all the new owners are forced to deal with and entrepreneurs can quickly become stressed and burn out often sadly give up on the mission that they set out for in much the same way the body needs blood to survive a business needs cash the lifeblood of the business to stay healthy and to grow more resilient John I'm super excited to have you on the show man
2: yeah thanks for having me Andrew
1: yeah so everything in your intro like speaks to me because I'm a young entrepreneur I'm 33. I've owned my agency now for ten years, and I remember early on in business, I didn't I didn't have a a upbringing around business, or I wasn't you know in an entrepreneur family, so it was very much like self learned. And I trusted a little too freely whenever I was young, a young business owner. I just assumed that the people that were around me knew what they were doing, and I ended up getting in a lot of tax. I say a lot of tax trouble. It wasn't trouble, but I did get like into a pretty bad tax bind early on in my career because I thought things were happening that were not. And so just a couple years into my business, I had to literally sell all of my personal belongings. I had to sell my truck. I had to sell my I had a I owned a small truck and a new truck. I had to sell both trucks and I downgraded to a little car. I had to move out of my apartment and move in with my girlfriend. Like I sold everything because I had this giant tax bill that I wasn't paying and I didn't know I was supposed to be paying it or I thought someone was paying it, you know? <laughs> and so uh this this um this conversation hits close to home. So I'm I'm excited to jump in this conversation for you. So why don't you kind of give an overview of kind of who you are and who you serve in your business?
2: Yeah, so um have an accounting firm here in Utah, but we serve um all US taxpayers. We have clients all throughout the country. There's about 60 of us. Um, our primary audience, our entrepreneurs, small business owners, the ones who, yeah, they just know, they don't know enough about taxes. They don't love paying the bill. They, our message that the IRS sucks resonates with them. Um, yeah, it, that's about it. So I, um, outside of that, I am married, I have four kids and, um, my kids are great because they give me a lot of material to be snarky and sarcastic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then um, if, if any of you have any amount of team members, you know that sometimes your team acts like children. So I get to practice. uh, (laughs) Sometimes I'm practicing with my actual kids and that helps me with my team members. And sometimes I'm practicing with my team members. That helps me with my real kids. Like sometimes just like, I don't understand how this has happened there's no logic behind what's yeah, like what, hey, what going I on. Yeah.
1: What's happening. Yeah. How, how did you get in the industry in the first place? Like, how did you, I mean, was that always your career path outside of when you, when you graduated high school, and you graduated college, was that always your career path?
2: No, I actually wanted to play video games professionally. Um, I just, and at that time, so I'm 41. So at that time that wasn't a thing, YouTube videos and yeah. people watching people play video games, not a thing. Um, I just liked video games. And I thought, you know, cool. Let's see if I can turn this in money. So I started college as a computer science major. And interestingly enough, after the first year, not once did a professor assign playing video games as homework. I'm like, I don't know if this is <laughs> like, for me. There's a bunch here? of like Java plus or Java C++ programming, building circuits for computers. And then um, ended up living in Argentina for two years and I uh, had a mentor basically. And I said, Hey, look, you've known me for two years now. What do you think I should do? (laughs) He's like, you should do business or something like maybe law. Um, I'm like, okay. So both tracks at my unit at BYU, where I went to school, took me through an accounting program. And it was the first time in my life that a subject clicked. Like it just, it wasn't a lot of work to understand it. I don't know why my brain is wired this way because accountants are kind of weird. I, you know, so I'm like, Like, great confirmation to the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it clicked everything else I kind of had to work at in life. And this was like, cool, let's go down that rabbit hole. And here we are.
1: How was your experience in Argentina? Do you feel like that shaped your next steps in life? Do you feel like it helped
2: that? It definitely helped. I mean, one, not living with your parents uh, in that far away where they're, you know they're not going to come and bail you out of any bad decisions for sure. Um, also, when I lived in Argentina, they went through a really crazy political scenario, and they they experienced hyperinflation. Um, and so, on some levels, it was not quite third world, but definitely got to see people who lived in really humble circumstances. I mean, literally, they would take twigs and branches from trees and then use mud as their drywall effectively. Wow. So a lot of grounding definitely happened when I lived in Argentina and that, I mean, yeah, I, I, for sure has helped shaped who I am.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it certainly gives you a different perspective and appreciation for the way like, like the world works everywhere else, I'm sure. Yeah. And you just get to kind of find I mean, to some extent you get to find yourself too, right? Like who are you and what do you want to be? And like you said, you got to take that path to figure out what you really ended up being really good at so that's exciting
2: yeah totally and and you know argentine food is really good too so uh empanadas are amazing and then they have oh. these little treats called They're that's really good that sounds good there's an argentinian restaurant
1: right right down the, re- the road from us and their empanadas are spectacular yeah they're so good. good yeah so you now tell me this you focus on micro gyms is that like kind of y'all's primary target market or do you guys are you guys wider than that
2: Yeah. So our micro gym clients probably only represent about 25% of our clients. We just, from a marketing standpoint, know that it's a little bit more effective to market towards a niche. Sure. And then our content is shared with others and we have other clients and they refer. Um, But so that's kind of where we were at with the micro gym world.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. That's one thing that as an agency, we've really I kind of talk about it in multiple of our episodes where it's just like, that's where we've struggled in the past as we've been so wide net, mainly because a lot of our business is referral based. Like we serve one client and then they tell us about their friend and and the industries have just kind of widely varied. But now 10 years in, we're kind of like, man, we really wish we'd have taken a little bit more of a focused path here because like our messaging would be very specific where our messaging has to be a bit more general. So uh I'm glad that you guys have made that realization for yourselves and it's definitely something we're doing now going forward is focusing in a little bit more on specific kind of a specific target audience and a specific industry that we feel like we we really can serve well. But I mean, it sounds to me like you guys serve business owners of all sorts. So to take it back a little bit, I shared that little story in the beginning of the episode how when I started business I thought that, you know, my tax situation was going to be okay and it was going to be all right. And it just ended up being like a total shit show reality. <laughs> um, what do you feel like are some of the big mistakes business owners are making when it comes to their financial and tax situation early on?
2: Um, well, you hit the number one assumption <laughs> is that things are going well, right? Like, yeah if, if you're not sure and you just, you think something is happening, but you're not sure how it's happening, you probably want to look into it, yeah. especially with taxes um, because as a business owner, like we're familiar with income taxes, but oh, do I is there some sort of payroll tax burden I have based on what I'm selling? Do I have to have is there sales tax? Um, what's the personal property tax situation look like where I'm at? Because that's the best one, right? If if you aren't familiar with that, you go to a store and you buy something and you pay sales tax to that store. And then because you use it in your business, no other reason than that, usually your county will charge you an additional tax just for the right to use the asset you already paid sales tax on in your business, even though they don't provide any services to you whatsoever. Personal property tax. Super great. Um, So, but (laughs) anyway, I digress. (laughs) digress. Um, Other other mistakes are usually the assumption that when I get an IRS letter, I'm talking to an IRS auditor that they're right. We... They have positioned themselves to be the government bully, right? And so we naturally have a fear going into any sort of communication with the IRS. Even I, after, you know, almost 20 years now doing tax stuff and dealing with the IRS, if I get a letter in the mail that has my name on it, you know, there's a little bit of a heart skip. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, okay, what's going on here? Um, But the reality is 85% of those letters are actually wrong. And so you do not need to just blanketly pay the IRS if the letter says you owe us money, Um, look into it. Um, But also, and and then the third maybe mistake is not realizing that the tax code itself is, I mean, it's 80,000-ish pages and it is exception upon exception upon exception. And so there's probably some additional benefits in the tax code that you're not taking advantage of.
1: Yeah. And that's, that part was the part for me that took forever to learn was like, you want a CPA that is very knowledgeable and understands the law, not only to help you be compliant and make sure that you're not going to get audited or hopefully reduce the liability of being audited. Right. Um, but then also to be able to take advantage of some of those, you know, like for example, like just within the last few years, I I was told about this thing called like uh, reasonable shareholder salary as an yeah. S corp LLC owner, 10 years in business. And three years ago, I found out about that. It's like, okay, so I finally, I have a decent CPA because up until then, no one told me that that was a thing that I should be doing is taking less on a W two and taking the rest of my money in a, in a, you know, K one distribution. It's like, yeah. Come on. Like common whoa. mistake
2: overpaying yeah, so, on W2.
1: Yep. So it's, it's little things like that, that like, I by no means find myself to be an expert, but I feel a lot more informed now than I did when I started my business. And I feel like for most, I would say most business owners, that is the fear. It is, I don't know where to start. That is not my area of expertise. So I'm just going to avoid it at all costs and hope that nothing bad happens, which is a big mistake. I feel like it's honestly a tax professional should be one of the first areas you should invest in your business to make sure that you're set up the correct way. You're taking advantage of the best tax credits, all of those things. Um, Yeah. Over
2: the course of our life, um, our tax liability will probably be our single largest expense.
1: Yep. Would not doubt it. My tax returns. That was the other thing. Tax returns. Like (laughs) I was paying so much. I was not getting tax returns. I was just paying big tax bills. And my, my new CPA, my new accountant a few years ago was like, you know, the reasonable shareholder salary, all this stuff. And then was like, Hey, we're also going to do some estimated payments. So that come the end of the year, you might actually get a return or at the very least you'll have less liability. And it was like, I mean, seriously, for like six years in a row, I was paying 10,000, $12,000 tax bills. And then I remember the first year with them, it was like maybe a few hundred bucks. And I was like, this is awesome. Like what, like, where has this been? And it was literally just because we weren't setting things up correctly. We weren't, Paying in advance, we weren't doing any of that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the hard part too, I think, as a business owner, entrepreneurs is navigating what is truthful and what is like TikTok influencers who are just telling you to go get yourself a brand new car and you know you you can pay for it with your business. Like that stuff, man, that's just questionable. You know what what How do you know what is uh, true and what you can take to heart?
2: Yeah, and honestly, for an entrepreneur who doesn't have a business of preparing taxes you have to put a lot of trust in the professional you're using so i hope they're putting it in a licensed professional and not a tiktok influencer yeah, um, yeah i mean i've seen those right i uh i had a business colleague introduce me to tiktok i'm like dude i'm not watching tiktok I not no no this. there's actually really good business stuff on there like okay if you share with me all the people you follow then then i'll get on to tiktok and so i've seen some of these people i'm like oh that's not good advice yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Some
1: of it I listen to and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> like, that's not true at all, you know? But but then I feel like I also have like some FOMO and I'm like, well, wait a second, is that something I'm supposed to be doing? Like, cause I don't know. You know Right. Uh, and so
2: then you can take those ideas and ask, you know, the professional and say, like, hey, I heard this idea. I love that. Like we get clients do that all the time. I heard this idea. Like okay, let me tell you the 10% of that that's true. Yeah, exactly. And then the other 90% that if you did it that way, you're going to go to jail because that's called fraud or you know, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. So I love I mean I really do love y'all's brand's philosophy around the IRS sucks and it's not really a hard question to ask you what how you came up with that, but I would like to know like where like what started that and like how do you guys leverage that to speak to the clients you're working with?
2: Yeah, um so I've been through a few audits with the IRS. One of the most egregious ones that I dealt with, client had a very sizable business. Um, over the course of his history, he ran the business into the ground, which also influenced me on the way we look at cash flow management. $30 million in revenue, declared bankruptcy that same year. Oh. $30 million in revenue, and they declared bankruptcy. Wow. 30 million. It's like no reason. And they didn't have enough revenue to cover expenses. Like that's terrible. Yeah. But so as part of the declaring bankruptcy process, the IRS, um, I don't know exactly how they find out, but they find out. So they surprise visit in some of these hearings as we're trying to help this client get through this bankruptcy. And the IRS is like, oh, by the way, we don't have record of your S election. So for those who are listening, you have like LLCs, which maybe people are familiar with. LLCs are state entities. And the IRS says, we don't tax LLCs. You have to make, you have to tell us how you want it taxed. So S corporations are really good structures for people who make ordinary type of income. Um, But the S status is, is tax only. You can't create an S corp with your state. So the IRS came in and said, "We don't have record of you requesting to be treated like this S corporation. Uh, Therefore, you are a C corporation, and you owe us five million dollars in taxes over the course of the last five years." Um. So I'm like, "Wow! I hope this isn't true. Like, we didn't help the client set up their S corp." Luckily, his accountant kept record of the letter that the IRS created on their end and sent back and said, we accept your S status. So the IRS system says they're an S corp, yet they still decided to come into this scenario hoping the taxpayer didn't keep their documentation Mm. just to get another $5 million. one One of the most egregious forms of bullying that I've ever seen. And in every single, and I don't usually like to use every because it's all inclusive, but in every single IRS audit situation I've been in, I've had to help protect the clients from the bullying element of the IRS. They just make claims with no backing. And unfortunately, the way the rules are set up, they don't have to back it up. It's our job to have to show them why they're wrong. And um, that is one of the reasons why I think the IRS sucks. Wow. The other reason is they're actually not really good at, I mean, the government spends the money, but the IRS is the enforcer of getting the money. And on the back end, I don't think the government's super good at spending our money. I think they suck at it actually. So like there's that little marriage between them and the IRS that just adds to the fact how much the IRS sucks.
1: Yeah. It's like somebody who gets like too big of a, uh, what is it called? A Thing, not a salary, uh, allowance, but they're just out there, just wasting it and yeah. wasting it and, it, and it's like, and you're coming after me for my lunch
2: money. It's like, come yeah. on. They have that, all the authority and none of the competency. That's it's, just, it's a scary mixture. Yeah, that ooh. I feel
1: like the biggest lesson here for young entrepreneurs, and there, you know, I know that there are a lot of young entrepreneurs, you know, coming up is. Keep your records. I feel like this is some an area that I personally have struggled with. Is that I was told early on and young, like, yeah, keep paper, you know, keep copies of everything, keep copies of everything. And I honestly was just like, yeah, that's old, like that's old school. Like I don't, I've got everything digitally. I got everything. Like I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. But the reality is, just like in that instance where you, if you would have not had or or the previous CP had not had that proof or that file or record. It would have been their word versus yours. Like it would have been done. And their
2: word over your word always wins. That's why you have to have proof.
1: So what should be the expectation from a business owner with their accounting firm in terms of record keeping? Should it be the the
2: responsibility of the client or the responsibility of the accounting firm? It's best if both parties feel like they're the ones responsible because you don't like some of these critical documentations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to leave it up to chance. So, you don't want to assume that your tax professional is doing it for you. And as a tax firm, we don't want to assume the client's doing it. Yeah. But if both are doing it, that's the best. And it's not yeah. that hard. Like, no. Most firms, I mean, we email everything to the clients. It's as simple as like dragging the freaking file into a folder on their computer and maybe exactly. backing it up with a hard drive. Like, That's all they have to do. That's all you have to do, yeah.
1: (laughs) Redundancy is key. I mean, I think that your answer is spot on. I mean, I know that I have a tax portal where all my documents live, but I have still downloaded every single one of them and put them onto my own drive, which has redundant backups both on the cloud and on a local drive because, God forbid, somebody comes chasing me down in a few years, I want to know that I have all that historical data because that's scary. I mean, you alluded to this earlier. Those letters you get in the mail, Just those few sentences they use are scary. We can come after your banks. We can come after your personal belongings. We can come after, essentially, nothing's off limits.
2: Yeah, and they will. So I know this doesn't make sense to us humans who are logical, but I have had the IRS threaten to basically force the business to liquidate all their assets and close knowing that if they did that, they wouldn't even get the full amount of what's owed to them because the taxpayer wouldn't have the ability to to do it. They were totally fine with making that guy burn his business down instead of letting him pay. I mean, we eventually got it worked out, but they were proposing like, no, we're not going to take payments over five years, but you'd get the full amount over five years. Yeah, If you do this, we're just going to do what they call an offer and compromise, which is effectively declaring bankruptcy just with the IRS. And like, look, we're, we will open the entire kimono to you. Here is all his financial information. He can't pay this. And by law then, based on this proof, you have to take 10 cents on the dollar. You're willing to do that and burn his business to the ground instead of letting him pay over five years? Are you out of your mind? And it, well. it took months to get them to not force him to close his business.
1: That is wild. It is All wild. In 30, that we're in- none of the
2: competency. Freaking so <laughs> it's dumb. It's
1: frustrating. Like, I mean, that we have, like, as Americans, you know, we're in a system where we're kind of having to, like, constantly defend ourselves from our own country, which, I mean, <laughs> let's not get political, but that's a whole <laughs> thing, right? Um, yeah. But uh, that's tough. I mean, that, that seriously is hard because I think that that is scary to know as a business owner that really you have to, I mean, you have to watch your back, you have to protect yourself. What are, what are some things business owners should be doing or could be doing right now to make sure that if, you know, if they ever come to a situation like that, they're hopefully protected.
2: Yeah. Um, the best thing is to save your documents. Um, also if you are doing a strategy, it's really important, even if you're not going to understand it completely. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that in a demeaning way. Um, If your accountant can explain to you, this is why the strategy makes sense and how it works, and that seems good to you, then that's probably fine. But there are professionals out there who do have strategies, they call strategies, that are just completely fabricated and there's no backing of tax rules. And most of the time, if you hear it, you're like, what? Like a normal person who doesn't understand taxes is going to be like, I don't know. That seems like right now, the biggest thing is with the um, employer retention credit. There are lots of firms who have basically convinced people that they qualified and were eligible. And I don't, and the people are like, I don't know based on the rules, it seems like I'm not eligible. No, no, you totally are. Well, and now they're in trouble. Both the professional who is really the unprofessional, the unprofessional and the clients, um, yeah. So where was I going with that?
1: Oh, no, you're good. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually like right in the heat of the pandemic, I was working with a CPA who's no longer my CPA who kind of came at me really strong with needing to apply for the, um, what was the program that was going on through the pandemic? The, the EIDL the or the
2: PPP loan?
1: The PPP loans. Like you really need to do this. We charge a $1,500 fee to like make it, you know, it's a really hard process, which it was not. You could log into your bank account as long as you had a major bank and Press a couple buttons yeah. and it was easy. They would verify everything, right? Yep. But but it was very, very strong and and it was a little um unethical. The reality was like if if the business owner was looking at the rules and the policies, you'd see pretty quickly, yeah, I might might not actually qualify for this. And uh yeah, that's sketchy. I mean, I think that you definitely have to uh I'd say just be aware of who you're working with. And if something feels off, maybe it is off, you know, and yeah. maybe it's time and- to talk to someone else.
2: And I think it's important for everyone to understand, even though they're signing a professional signing the return, it's your tax return. So you are always going to have liability, even if the accountant did something fraudulent that you weren't aware of. Now, obviously you'll, you would be able to defend yourself and get out of that over probably the course of a messy situation, but, um, you're always on the hook as the taxpayer always.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I know, I know we're talking a lot about tax liability, and that's probably the the last thing that anybody wants to talk about because it's I mean it's not very fun. So let's let's pivot a bit. Cash flow. I feel like that is a bigger struggle that I'd say the majority of business owners out there face. You know, I I actually just kind of came to a cross in the road where I decided, is it right to take a, you know, per, like a what is it called business line of credit? Like, is it mm-hmm. good to do that? Is it bad to do that? Like that is a, another like you know relatively scary topic of like how do I know that there's enough money in the bank to buy equipment, hire new people, um, just keep the daily day you know daily you know operations moving that kind of thing. How do you guys help entrepreneurs entrepreneurs increase their cash flow and achieve better work life balance?
2: Yep. So uh, let me go back to that the thirty million dollar company that declared bankruptcy right. What these guys were, uh, they're the poster child for Parkinson's Law. So Parkinson's Law says the demand for something will expand to match the supply. The demand for something expands to match the supply. So in this case, business owners usually have one bank account. Think of that bank account as a pile of supply, your cash. One giant pile. The demand to spend that cash will continue to increase until there's no more cash left to spend. So these guys are doing 30 million in revenue and they thought we'll just sell our way out of any issue instead of putting boundaries around the cash. So we suggest, because Parkinson's law is human behavior, we suggest creating basically a fake reality that you have less money to spend than you really do. That way you don't spend all your money. So the way we do that is we recommend um our clients and all business owners really have separate business bank accounts just like the envelope system but with business bank accounts and those business bank accounts some of them have specific purposes so when your income comes in you're first going to take money out of the income and put it into some of these buckets so that you have a lower remaining amount to spend on operating your business and it's amazing how businesses are able to still use that money and operate their business, even though it's a lot less than what they're used to. But then they also have money set aside. So when the tax bill comes, they don't pay $12,000. They already have the money set aside and it's no big deal because they were setting it aside on a small amount as they went on. So that's kind of the overall gist of how we recommend people manage their cash flow. Take the money and separate it into the important buckets that you already have or that you should have and then um then you aren't running the risk of spending all your money on expenses when then it's like oh crap you know
1: yeah that that actually makes a lot of sense i i just was discussing this i didn't know it's called parkinson's law but it sounds like uh it sounds to me like i kind of drew that conclusion recently i was talking about how early in the business when every time i would look at the bank account i wasn't even sure we were going to cover payroll I was was not only selling better and more productive because obviously like I had to work hard, but I was also really, really responsible with the money that was there. I had to be. I wasn't, let's go get lunch. Let's get beer. Let's, you know, do a company outing. Let's get a new car. Let's take out a big K1 distribution because we can. Like there was none of that. It was just like, can we run payroll? And then as that bank account started to grow, you know, I mean, really it hit me this last year was the year that I was like, crap, like I'm, I'm slacking, right? Like I, there was always a big bank account and I got familiar, like comfortable with that. Like, oh yeah, there's money in the bank. There's money in the bank. Well, we decided to let a larger customer go. We decided to part ways and it was a little over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, guess what? Cash flow was immediately affected, right? And because we thought everything was comfortable, there's money, there's money, there's money. That wasn't the reality. And we started becoming a bit complacent. We had started spending un, unwisely, unrespo- mm-hmm. you know, kind of irresponsibly. And you're right. If the money's there, you think the money's there. Like, let's do it. Let's have a good time. Versus whenever things are a little bit more limited, you're like, okay, we have to work within these means. We have to work within this this envelope if you if you're familiar with the envelope system. I really like that idea. So let's just say in my business, a marketing agency, I mean, how many bank accounts? I mean, obviously it's hard to say without knowing like how much money we have and what all of our responsibilities are, but like does at every size of a business, do you need multiple bank accounts or could it work with like one primary checking and maybe multiple savings accounts for different, you know?
2: Components? Yeah, so we recommend five. So this is a cash flow method called profit first is what we're recommending. Um, but before I add the five, I wanted to say something. I want, you touched on something there that I, it's really critical because it's a part of avoiding burnout. A lot of times you're worried as a business owner, can I make payroll? And often you're worried about that and then you hope and pray that there's money left over to pay yourself. Yep. The hope and pray method, while I am religious, is great for things, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. not a good business strategy. For sure. <laughs> and so, payroll, uh, yeah, you have to pay yourself um, as an owner. And that's one of the buckets. So, let me. So, the five accounts we recommend first one is an income account, its sole purpose is to receive income deposits. I know it sounds crazy. But I've done this method without an income account where my operating expense or my operating bank account received all the deposits. It just, I don't know, it didn't freaking work. And once I had the separate income account, it started to do it. I don't understand the science just, behind it. But it just it just, worked. <laughs> it worked. So one account, only income. Then there's an owner's pay account because you're the most important employee of the business and you want the most important employee of your business paid. Yep. So, set aside money for that. Um, now, some people use their personal bank account for that. Totally fine. I have a separate account because our cash flow is, has spikes with tax season and things. Sure. So, I kind of use that as a holding bucket because if I put it all in my personal account, my wife would spend it. Yeah. And then I'd have lean months and <laughs> it's just not a good idea. Okay. So, income account, owner's pay, profit account. This is because as the owner, You're taking additional risk that no one else in your business is, and that's to be the owner. Well, in Wall Street, they give themselves return on investments, ROI, for their equity ownership. You should be doing the same thing. So set aside money for profit distributions. Um, Then you have tax account. So you mentioned your current accountant has you making estimated payments. That's awesome. Uh the IRS also wants you to make payments. I personally would rather make payments to my bank account and set aside the money in this account, hold on to it all year as long as I can in case some sort of emergency happens. Um yeah, keep it then I have the yep. cash available to spend because I would rather owe the IRS some taxes than not be able to run my business. Sure. But still use that money then to make a payment in December because the money's there. Now, some some of our clients, they're like, look, I don't have the discipline. If I see that money, I'm just going to spend it. Cool. Then once a quarter, let's make the estimated payments. Whatever works for clients' personality, like no judgment. Okay. So we have income, owner's pay, profit, tax. And then the last one is the one they already have, which is for the operating expenses. And so we recommend that people sit down at least twice a month, no more than once a week, to Manage the cash. You have income come into this account, and so whether it's weekly or twice a month, take that money and set it aside into the, your different accounts. You don't feel the pain of s- owing twelve thousand dollars in taxes because you're setting it aside, and you can run your business on the amount. But if you don't do that, then you get to the end of the tax year, it's like you owe twelve grand. Like, how do I owe that much money? You're like, I, I didn't have that m- much money. Exactly. I don't <laughs> have that. That's what I, so we always say, I didn't even make that much money. <laughs>
1: Is, so there you that go. Is, that's that, the overview. That's amazing. I mean, seriously, because I, the honestly, the of all the personal budgets I've ever done, whenever I was still trying to figure out my life, the envelope system was the one system that effectively worked. Um I'm way better now at like being able to do it out of one checking account and like really being a lot more other than going out to eat it is my pitfall. Um beyond that, I'm pretty pretty responsible with budgeting, but the envelope system was amazing. And I loved at the end of the week, we we actually had one of those big water jugs that you put in your office. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we we actually used it and anytime we had leftover money in our envelopes, we just take it and put it into that water jug. So nice. we actually have this massive water jug full of like envelopes and change. So one day when we open it up, it'll be fun to see like what is in that that water but you know that water jug or whatever. But that that's really cool. I like the idea. So I think the part that would I don't know, stress me out would be (laughs) the, like the finance, like the regular, like, okay, for example, payroll, does that come out of regular operations? Even my personal, like that's different from owner's pay because owner's pay. Do you look at like, how do you kind of break that down from a Uh operational standpoint?
2: Yeah. So payroll for the entire company, including payroll tax is an operating expense. Okay. Your payroll as the owner is part of owner's pay. Okay. Um, but so you mentioned owner's pay and you're like, oh, I just learned that I can lower that and take distributions. That's right. So owner's pay includes that owner's pay and then distribution amounts. But it also includes a third. It's a tax strategy that we call corporate rent. But if you Google it, a lot of people refer to it as the Augusta rule. Okay. Um, I won't go into the backstory, but Augusta, Georgia is where they have the Masters tournament in golf every year for the PGA. And they're a bunch of wealthy landowners. So they got this really fun rule (laughs) in place. But but basically, what happens is your business rents from you as a person your living space to hold a monthly board meeting. And by doing that, the tax rules are such that you don't actually have to pick up that as rental income as an individual, but your business can expense it as a rent expense. Very interesting. So it becomes a tax deduction on your return, but it's really owner's pay. So there's the, the four areas of owner's pay I consider. Your W-2 amount, your distribution, if you're doing the corporate rent strategy, which you should, um, and we, if you guys go to our website, we have a, tons of free blog posts on the corporate rent strategy. And then the fourth one is, if we're taking advantage of tax rules and spending money out of the business that really is only spent because we're the owner, yeah, take advantage of the write-off. We want you to do that, but it's really considered owner's pay and not operating expense. So like if I take my kids to Disneyland um, and I can figure out a way to justify why we're going to California, that would be owner's pay, even though it's a travel expense on my business.
1: Yeah. So so basically, okay, let's just say, you know, and obviously people can go to your website, I'm sure, and learn a lot more about this. And we don't want to give all the secrets away because then you know, we want them to work with you, John. Um, maybe even I'll work with you one day, John. Um, but the idea would be all your money comes into that first account, right? Everything goes into the income only account. And then from there you kind of say, okay, something like X amount of dollars need to go to the owner's pay checking account. X amount of dollars need to go to the profit accounts. X amount of dollars need to go to the tax and accounting. And then the last of it needs to go to regular operations. Exactly. So that that way that money's always allocated. It's always accounted for Yep. And then that way you're not spending really from a cash flow perspective, you shouldn't be overspending in your operations budget because you know exactly how much that you have there to spend. Yeah.
2: Now you can take your operating expense budget, like take the bank account down to zero or a hundred bucks because you have the money already set aside for the other important stuff. Not that we totally recommend that. Sure, yeah. Um, but, but, but I one of the things I love about the system, so we do work a lot with micro gym owners. And um I don't know if people heard about this event called COVID. <laughs> Nah, no, never but heard of it. <laughs> it was the first time yeah. the government forced businesses to close, gyms being one of the primary targets. I won't get into how stupid that was yeah. um because of how health uh, like physical exercise affects our health. 80s. Yes. <laughs> um but anyways, every every gym in the US at some point was shut down. All of our clients who are running the profit first system, they were able to survive not being able to make revenue cuz you can imagine how hard it is to get payment for memberships when they can't physically come in and use your services. Yeah. yeah
1: everyone was trying to do digital um, stuff and it's just not like
2: it wasn't yeah. like a walk in the park, but they survived. Yeah. Where many gym owners had to go out of business because they it's living they paycheck to paycheck, they're closed down and now they don't have the revenue but they got the expenses and even with most landlords being very accommodating and like delaying rent, they still had other expenses, no revenue is it is it bad. So uh, the model works and and that's just for gym owners. I mean at this point, uh, Mike McCAlowitz is the author of the original profit first book. I wrote profit first for micro gym, so it's specific to gym owners. Um, their data shows half a million people have implemented profit first in their business. like this this is a legit strategy people should consider.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've got me. I mean, seriously, I'm not even just saying it because you're on the podcast. Like, <laughs> because I like the envelope system, this is like not far off, right? But it's for my business. And and honestly, like sometimes it's overwhelming to look at just one large lump sum of money and, and know what that's intended for. Like you don't, it, you genuinely don't know. Like cash flow is one of the hardest things for a small lean team that doesn't have like a dedicated like in-house like bookkeeper or finance person who's telling you kind of constantly like, Hey, we're spending more than we're making or whatever. That's one of the hardest things to like keep track of. So when I look at the bank account. I'm like, I think that's going to cover payroll. I think that that's going to cover our monthly software expenses. I hope that I have enough to take a K one distribution this month. Right? (laughs) Like that sucks. Like it does. So, I mean, this is really, this is pretty cool. I mean, and honestly, like I feel like I've heard people talk about the Augusta rule. But I've never implemented it in my business, so like I would love to explore that more and see like where that fits into my tax strategy. It's a no-brainer. If you have
2: taxable income, everyone should be doing this strategy.
1: This is cool. This is this is like a like if anything you get from this podcast episode besides making sure that you have copies of all your records, then (laughs) this this piece right here is definitely amazing. How do you see? I mean, how do you see the accounting industry evolving in the future? How does insight tax kind of fit into that evolution? Because there's obviously a lot of like robo advisors and there's a lot of like these new smart banks and there's these new, like, I mean, we're even guilty. Like we use a, a online bookkeeping service. It's like, how do you guys evolve in that changing landscape?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm a fan of technology. People are like, oh man, are you worried that bots are going to do your job for you? I'm like, look, we create enough value that we have advice to offer, business owners, yeah. even if somehow magically they can do all the tax, someone does all the tax returns as part of a robot scenario. But, um, I've actually, so there's a service and I'm not recommending it cause I tried it out. It's called, um, chat CPA, which I think is just backing off of chat GPT. Like they're okay. literally just backing in. Yep, well, so I asked, idea. I asked both, I had both of them open and I'm asking them questions and like, one of them I say hey what's the 2022 tax bracket and it responded with the 2021 tax bracket is this i said um but the 2022 bracket's been posted you're right it has been here's that information okay so why do you use both? <laughs> i asked both i go hey can you explain the augusta rule to me cuz it's all over the internet yeah they're like oh the augusta rule is when a pga golf player blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> i'm like okay This is not it. (laughs) Um, So from a tax strategy standpoint, AI is not there yet. And I don't know if it will get there. Maybe it will. From a, if I have a straight scenario, I have a W2 person. Yeah. You know what? That, those people will probably find a solution where they're going to be a really inexpensive option. But right now for business owners, because the tax code is still 80,000 pages, um, we plan on leveraging technology so that we can provide more of the higher level service I definitely see AI and the evolution of the industry reducing the amount of human labor that needs to be involved with data entry on bookkeeping, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong but, with that. But um, at the same time, right now, there, I haven't seen a good AI solution where it takes your financials and automatically gives you, like, here are things to consider. But yeah. There's still human involvement that needs to be there. But if it gets there, great. I still think there's going to be an element of people want to interact with humans. Oh, 100%. Um, it's, it's a lot and, easier
1: and, to trust a human than. Yeah, to trust a bot, you know, because it's like yeah. at least I've, there's that personal, you know, intimacy. There's the rapport, all of that to understand. Like, okay, well, I'm looking in your eyes, and I could tell that, like, hopefully, you have my best interest at heart, you know. Versus hoping that a computer is telling you the truth when we know what the world is capable of, and the people that have built these tools have their own, you know, Agenda? agendas. <laughs> you know, which we we both, I think, we both kind of see eye to eye on some of that stuff. You yeah. Know? Um. So. I-
2: Totally unrelated, but I'm currently reading a book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Okay. So it's about Hitler, how he came to power. Um, It is 58 hours on Audible. Like, Wow. It's a commitment, (laughs) and I'm like 20 hours in. But it is fascinating. There are similarities um, of agendas being pushed and people turning a blind eye, and I think with AI – that's going to be the biggest thing that we're going to have to worry about in general, not just with taxes. Is this the right strategy? Yeah. Just in general. Um, Because they're from a political standpoint, I won't go into it, but you have differing political views on taxing people and somehow that'll bring in all the revenue or letting business owners keep it. And then they keep the economy going because they hire more people and all that stuff. Like exactly. Those are kind of the two basic gists. If someone is under the, Like creating an AI that has the belief of tax everybody, there's a likelihood that AI is going to result with advice that has you paying more tax. Exactly. And vice versa. And, you know, uh, yeah, we have to be aware of agendas for sure.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent, man. John, I feel like you've brought a lot of wisdom to me, honestly, just being able to have this conversation. We kind of always joke internally, like as podcast hosts, not only do we get to interview fascinating people, but we also get free advice, which is amazing, (laughs) you know, but, but seriously, like just the, the things that you've kind of done for your clients and what you're doing, just feel like a system that kind of aligns with my values and just like what I think would work for me. And I think honestly, a lot of the business owners listening to this episode would probably find it to be the same. I'm sure that a lot of our experiences are very similar, right? We look at that bank account, we say, "Holy crap, <laughs> like what's what goes where? Cash flow is scary. We don't know if we can pay the bills or not. And I think that if there's a little bit more strategy behind that and there's like a little bit more you know mindfulness there, hopefully the overall awareness around what you can and can't do should be there, right. Um, I think one of the biggest areas where business owners struggle is that small companies don't set budgets for themselves for the year that was the for the very i mean again Mm -hmm. i'll speak speaking you know about myself for 10 years in business i've never i've had goals like we're going to do this much in sales and do that much but we've never set a budget for the very first time this last year we said we're not going to spend more than this amount of money on food and entertainment we're not going to spend more than this money on marketing we're not going to spend more than this on because last year we just spit what was in the bank like that's stupid yeah. Like, how do we grow if we're just spending frivolously and we're not actually aware of where we're spending? And so I think that I would even challenge small business owners, kind of no matter what stage, look at your income from the year before and make an educated, you know, you know, uh, budget around the year so that you know where your money's going to go and you know what you can accomplish in the future years based on your growth.
2: Totally. Um, profit first is, I think, the best budgeting system because you're allocating the money to these different buckets. And so it does ebb and flow as your business might ebb and flow. If there's differences with this year compared to last year. Yeah. Um, that We like profit first for that reason.
1: Yeah, it's good. Well, although your episode has been full of hacks, I'm going to give you the opportunity to leave our listeners with just one solid hack.
2: Hacks. Okay. Well, this one's going to be good. All right. Bring it it's on. It's going to be good. All I'm right, actually, I'm, ri- I'm writing a book and it's going to be published in October and it's called the 3.3 rule so my hack is related to this. Okay. The most consistent workday, but sorry, the most effective workday consists of up to 3-hour blocks followed by a 30% recovery period. Most people don't realize that our current structure of 40 hours a week, 5 days a week, 8-hour days was based on Henry Ford who wanted to give his Employees more time to want to need a car, to sell more cars. So people bought more cars, so they had more leisure time. Because up until that point, they were working 60 to 80 hours a week. And even before that, industrial era, 100 hours. There's literally no science that backs our current workday structure. However, over the last 20 years, we have enough science that shows what's our ability as humans to focus? What does that period look like? What happens if we don't take breaks to our brain? What happens when we do take breaks? What's the benefit of boredom? Like, there's so much science involved. And so that's where we need to come up with a new workday. So if you're listening to this, I encourage you to not work more than three hours at a time. And however long you work, if it's an hour, two hours, or three hours, whatever that block was that you focused, take a 30% amount of that time off as a break. You will be more productive. I mean, from a physical sensation standpoint, like once we put on our clothes like this shirt, I didn't feel the fabric rubbing on my skin until now that it's brought to my attention because what happens is our brain becomes numb to constant stimulus or, and that's the same thing with our focus. If I'm working and focused at at a point uh, up to three hours, I'm going to, basically become numb. So if I'm working more than three hours at a time, all the hours after three, not very effective. So then you have to, you take this reset. So if I work, say an hour, I'm going to take 20 minutes off. If I work an hour and a half, I'm going to take a half hour off. If I work three hours, I'm going to take an hour off. You are going to find, you're going to be more productive and love life more because you are giving yourself that break. And then of course, there's things you want to do to make yourself more productive during that time. But that's my hack. The most efe- efficient workday structure is work up to three hours and take a 30% recovery period after.
1: I love that, man. Seriously, we we just within the last few weeks have evolved our work schedule at, at our agency and it has drastically improved our work-life balance, our overall productivity. We started doing work from home Mondays. We do, uh, you know, everybody on the team works from home on Mondays. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we all are in the office. And then Fridays, we're doing half days. And then within our week, we're trying to always make sure that either on the back end of the day or in the middle of the day, we all as a team go play tennis. Just because it it literally like we all came back from playing playing tennis the other day, and we all came back and we were just like like full energy. Like, yep, what what do we need to do? What can we like? where before, you know, you're sitting in here and you're just starting to be like, man, like I'm, I'm getting bored. Like I'm starting to click on websites. I, you know, I'm going to Facebook and I shouldn't be a, like, I was looking at my history today and I was like, I've gone to Facebook more in the last day than I <laughs> definitely, I absolutely should as a grown man. But it's like, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, I think taking those breaks really makes a huge difference in your opinion. What is the perfect work week or what is the perfect work day?
2: Um, it actually is personal. Like it's up to everybody. Um, I know a guy he he's primarily an author. He's like, after 50 minutes, I'm like, I got to take yeah. a break. So he's what I would call a sprinter. Sure. He, he does a sprint, takes a break. Some people are Zen masters. Like if I, if you get me in front of a spreadsheet and want me to start forecasting, I can get in the zone. Dude. I love yeah. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would set a timer so that it goes off after three hours to be like, okay, okay just, I need to take a it. break. Yeah. yeah right. Um, it is totally, that's why it's, stated the way it is. So it's whatever fits your personality. It, I mean, if some people, honestly, if you suffer from like ADHD type of thing, it might be 20 minutes yeah. and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, just do what you gotta do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like whatever fits, but, um, that's, it, that's it really, so cool. it takes the eight hour work day and really you're only working six cause you're giving yourself permission to effectively take two of those hours off because you now yeah. know by doing that intentionally, the six hours are going to be more productive than your previous eight hours were.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You'd be surprised just how productive you can be in a fraction of the amount of time if you're actually focused. Yeah, so, totally. That's amazing. Hey, man, thanks so much for for sharing your story. Thanks for helping us with all the advice. What can our listeners do to support you? Obviously, you've got one book already. Uh, how can they work with you? How can they support you? When's the new book drop and all that fun stuff?
2: Yeah, so our, if you're interested in learning more st- Tax stuff. We have and uh, cash flow things. Insighttax.com uh, is the place place to go, and it's insight like to incite a riot because we think the IRS sucks. <laughs> nice. um, so it's I N C I T E T A X. And if you are interested in the book if that tickled your fancy, it's the 33 rulebook.com, and you can um, add yourself to be notified when we uh, when we're publishing. And we do have a current handout of like three ways to avoid burnout.
1: That's amazing. Hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I will definitely be having some conversations with you after we stop recording because I would love the opportunity to maybe work with you in the future. And I encourage the people to listen to the show. If something about this episode stood out, if there was a piece of advice that you heard that you were like, hmm, my CPA or bookkeeper or my wife who does our taxes has never thought about that, then maybe it's time to call John. Because if you don't want to be If you don't want to be wasting all that money, giving up all that cash, then you need to be doing something different. So make sure you check all that stuff out. We will see you guys next week.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, Follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.